0: bandwidth for changelog is provided by fastly learn more at fastly.com we move fast and fix things here at changelog because of rollbar check them out at rollbar.com and we're hosted on linode cloud servers head to linode.com slash changelog this episode is brought to you by rollbar rollbar is real-time error monitoring alerting and analytics that helps you resolve production errors and minutes And I talked with Paul Bigger, the founder of CircleCI, a trusted customer of Rollbar. And Paul says they don't deploy a service without installing Rollbar first. It's that crucial to them. We
1: operate at serious scale and Literally, the first thing we do when we create a new service is is we install Rollbar in it.
2: Like we we need to have that
1: visibility, uh, and without that visibility, it would be impossible to run at the scale we do, and certainly with the number of people that we have. Like we're a relatively small team operating a major service, and without the visibility that Rollbar gives us into our exceptions, it just it just wouldn't be possible.
0: All right, if you want to follow in Paul's footsteps and start deploying with confidence today, head to rollbar.com/changelog. Once again again, rollbar.com slash changelog. Welcome to JS Party, a weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, at changelaw.com/live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the show at changelaw.com/community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at jspartyfm. And now on to the show.
1: Yes, the sound of those BMC beats means it's time once again for your weekly party with JavaScript. Isn't that right, Michael? Yep. That's right. That's how we do it around here. Welcome back to JS Party. We have an awesome show planned for you today. We're talking all about the conference scene for attendees, speakers, organizers, what have you. We're going to dive deep into it. My panel today is made up of K-Ball. What's up, K-Ball?
3: Hey, hey. Glad to be here.
1: And I already referenced Michael Rogers. What's up, Michael? hey yo And the incomparable Nick Nisi, How you doing, Nick? Hoi hoi. Hoi hoi. So as promised, we are going to talk about conferences today. One of the ways that, well, the community comes together and gets to see each other IRL. Some of us go to many conferences, some of us not so many. So we're going to talk about why go to conferences, what they're good for, what they're bad for, how they could be better, all that fun stuff. Let's start off with hearing uh, from the panel here, why do we go to conferences or why do we not? go to conferences if we don't, and what makes them worthwhile, Michael? (laughs) Meet me me first. (laughs) You have lots of opinions.
2: Yeah, but I might be the worst person to ask that particular question. Oh, okay. (laughs) Being being that I I ran conferences for many years and and stopped. (laughs) And stopped. So you used to go to, do you still attend conferences? A bit, a bit. I mean, like my time is so limited and there's so many events to go to that I tend to only go to events that. I'm speaking at, and then occasionally I'll go to events that I'm like helping out at, or or um, overlap in some other way. The few times over the last like literally like ten years that I've had the privilege of going to an event and not like helping staff it or or organize it or speak have been like really really amazing. <laughs> it's like so relaxing to just not have any of that burden, but it is it is actually quite rare uh, for me to do that.
1: Well, I guess we should mention that this panel is comprised of some conference organizers. Uh, some conference speakers, and then we're all attendees at different times uh, in our lives. And I think most people start off as attendee or maybe they've never been to a conference and they're wondering, what's the point? Because if you think about it from a life perspective, it costs money. If you can't get a business to pay for it for you, it takes time, right? This is usually free time, weekends often, or travel time. And there's a lot of effort put into deciding which conference to go to. Is it worth it? So, What's the pitch? Like, why do it if it's such a burdensome
2: thing to organize in your life? So I was I was listening to a, a different podcast recently. How dare you! I think it might have been, it was like I think it was Malcolm <laughs> Gladwell's podcast actually, but he was talking about um you know some some scientific stuff that that ended up happening. Um, I think it was actually yeah yeah it was in like the research of uh, cancer, and um and and it basically you know <laughs> the synthesis of these ideas was. People were at a conference and they ran into somebody on the street who was also at the same conference. And that was sort of the germ that connected these ideas together and then turned into, you know, like basically it turned it into what was the precursor to AIDS research actually working out well um, and, mm. and prevention working out well. Anyway, but he makes a really good point in that um, we're really, we're really used to this world in which like all information is just there and you can just sort of grab at it. And like, why would you ever need to go and and visit with humans kind of in person? But I think what we really miss is that there's so much information that it's hard to sort of weed through it. And there's like a huge amount of contextualization and information that is just locked up in people's heads. Uh And until you go and interact with them and talk with them, you don't tend to get that information out of them. And this is why people have talked about the, the hallway track for so long, right? Like just talking to the other people is so important because like this sort of high bandwidth exchange of ideas is really great. And I feel like you know, like the best conferences that, that have speakers at them, because we can maybe talk about conferences that don't even do speakers, mm-hmm. um, but the ones that do speakers, the, the, the talks that are the best are just the ones that get everybody discussing a new topic, get everybody thinking about something different. Not necessarily the talks that are just like, oh, hey, like, here's a module and here's what the readme says and you could have gone and read this.
3: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I want to jump in on that a little bit. One of the best reasons I've heard and agree with for attending conferences is for inspiration. You don't go to learn all about something. You go to learn what you should be learning about. You go to learn where are there interesting directions, new concepts, new ideas, new things that you're not thinking about. And then when you get back, like everything's on the internet. You go and learn. You're not there to like understand all about thing X. You're there to discover, oh, thing X is really good for the set of things I should learn about it. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So when <laughs>
2: when I in in 2012, uh I ran Nodeconf and I I chopped all the talk lengths down to 20 minutes and people freaked out. Like nobody had done a talk less than 40 minutes at that point. Now it's really common to have like 30 and even like 20 minute slots. Uh-huh. at tech conferences but at the time it was just like not done. Like a lot of conferences were doing like hour hour plus a lot of the time and 40 minutes was considered kind of light. Um and what I told the speakers was like it is not your job to educate them on exactly everything they need to know to use this. It's only to make them interested enough that they go home and and do it themselves. <laughs> like uh-huh. you have documentation, like they will get through it on their own. Your your job is just to sell it, to like to make it interesting enough for them to go home and do something with, to make them inspired as, as Kevin was just saying.
1: I would tend to agree. One thing I do at conferences, I mean, sometimes you're there to talk to people, meet people, but that's hard to do for all of us, you know, like the icebreaker. An easy icebreaker at a conference when you are sitting next to somebody you don't know is to ask them, why did you come? Because, you know, that's at least the one thing you both have in common is, well, we're both sitting right here. Why are you sitting here? And the answers are very interesting. Uh, lots of times it's just like, well, my company sent me. That's totally cool. Or, you know, I love, you know, being around people. But a lot of people say, I'm here to learn. Like, I'm here to learn new things. And this is why, you know, some conferences have entire day workshops where it's like, okay, you're going to actually get in there and learn stuff. I've never thought about going to a conference to learn like a, a skill or a technology. It's, but I have often thought like the inspiration, I want to discover new things to learn about or new concepts that are out there in the world. And then I can go learn on my own time. I'm not going to learn that much in 40 minutes versus 20 minutes. That's why maybe like lightning talks are so interesting. Nick, curious your thoughts on why go to conferences in the first place.
4: Yeah. Uh, so I think that longer talks, I kind of, my eyes start glazing over and I kind of start tuning out a little bit. So I do appreciate the, the jump to smaller talks on that. And that said, I'm more than happy to skip a talk as well. Uh, because I really do want to go there for, uh, meeting people, um, figuring out what people are doing in like why, why they're there. Like you said, Jared. Um, and, but mostly the the last couple of conferences that I've been to have had karaoke. So that's why I show up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, we can do karaoke right here on JS party, Nick, nothing's stopping us. So keep that in mind.
2: It's, it's funny actually like, um, there, there really is like a sort of direct correlation between the amount of time that you give people for breaks and the talk length and the actual like attendance of the talks. One interesting thing. So when I when I started running the Node.js Foundation, they wanted to do a conference, and this is like one of the big conferences, right? So. This is not one of the smaller community conferences with like 200 people. It's like, okay, there's multiple tracks and it's in like, you know, a more boring venue and the food is worse. Like all these things that you deal with when you're doing a bigger event. Um, but I, I harped on a few things like, no, we need to have like more breaks. Like, no, we need to cut the talk down to 25 minutes. Um, and the the people uh, from the Linux Foundation who who run a ton of events for the LF, like all over the place, they were really blown away by the amount of people in the talks. They were just like, I've never seen this many people actually in the talks. like. Um, and yeah, uh-huh. I was like, that's what happens when you chop the length.
1: Down. <laughs> yeah. There's less intimidating. You're, you're, you're not dedicating yourself to as much, you know, or there's just less to bite off. So you're like, well, I'll take a risk on this one because worst case I lose 20 minutes or whatever. Uh, best case it's amazing.
2: Well, and like a bad 25 minute talk, you'll just be like, oh, okay. I hopefully the next one is better. A bad like forty-five minute hour long talk will just burn you out for like the half of the day, right? Mm. Like you're you're just done at that point. Like you're not going to any other talks regardless of what they're
3: about. One other thing that I think it's worth talking about in terms of why to go as an attendee is the networking perspective. And we talked a little bit about how hard that can be. But I have talked to multiple people who are now speakers at conferences who attending a conference, oftentimes on an opportunity scholarship, which more and more conferences have. So if going back to the funding question, if funding is a challenge for you, you don't have a sugar daddy, there are lots by sugar daddy. I mean, you work for one of the big companies that will actually (laughs) send you to these.
1: They meant the candy.
3: No, I, I'm always jealous of people who are like, yeah, I work at Microsoft. They just let me go to conferences. They pay for it. What have you. But if you are not in that situation, There are often opportunity scholarships that can help you get to these conferences and pay your way. And I've talked to multiple people who started that way. And that was what got them out of a bad scene in terms of they were in a small town or someplace where they weren't finding opportunities, or perhaps they were a person of color in a place where there weren't very many opportunities for people of color, what have you. They start going to conferences, meet people, and there's an incredible world of opportunities that can open up and, it's not always obvious. That's the type of thing it's hard to plan for. Like you can say, I'm going to go, I see these talks, I'm going to get inspired by them, I'm excited about those. The networking is much more haphazard. It's that hallway track, it's how do you get out there. And I think you know, speaking is even better for that. We'll get to this in, in the speaker section yeah. uh, because it it's such a hack for the networking piece of this. But uh, you know, there are so many opportunities that you can find once you get out and start talking to people from the broader community.
4: Yeah, and I'm sure we'll get into this with the... with the organizing part of it but uh kind of to what you said cable like the organizers if it's a good conference they want people from a diverse set of backgrounds there and they want new people who may not be able to get there on their own and so a lot of times conferences will be looking for ways to to hand over tickets like that
3: for
1: sure
2: yeah. I, I mean, I, I do want to stop for a moment and just like not every conference is is the same or equal. And I think that we're yeah. making a few assumptions right now on what we're talking about when we talk about these conferences. I think that we're talking about conferences that are like really connected to the communities that, that, that they're representing. Um, that is just not always the case with every event. Like there's a lot of events that are like much, much more business focused and it's really just a bunch of people selling things to each other. Um, and you're not going to derive the same amount of value from it. Like I would not suggest that you go to um, GCP or like the Big Google event or the big AWS event, or, or these events if, if your goal is to meet people and, and connect with them and, and like expand your network. Like you really want to th- find an event that is like run by a community that is very connected to that community, where the majority of the attendees are like individual contributors, like you.: yeah. So the, we, we know from like a lot of research that the, the biggest factor in how much you get paid at a particular skill level is proportional to how big your network is. And if you think about it, it makes sense because the more people that you know (laughs) from all these different companies, the more opportunities that you have. And so if you have a bunch of opportunities within the same kind of skill set range, you can pick the ones that are the best for you. And and often that means the most money, although sometimes it may be better location or remote or something else. Um, But that sort of like access to opportunity is dependent on your network and um, being involved in open source and being involved in these kind of community events are a great way to meet all these people. Um, If you think about like, you know, A lot of people who work in offices, um, they know the people at their company and they may know people that they worked with at prior companies, but they don't have a lot of opportunities to just like meet a random collection of people (laughs) from all these other companies that like they may be able to get in the door to be hired at some point in time. Um, And we're incredibly lucky in that, like through open source and through these kinds of events, you have access to like all of these people.
1: Yeah, it's definitely worth pointing out that there's different types of conferences and there's tons of different types. and which ones you should attend is really a question as well. You know, like Michael, you just gave your your advice there. If you're looking for new personal relationships with open source developers, you know, Lambda or what's AWS's thing called? I don't know. Reinvent, you know, is more of a business-oriented thing. You're not probably going to get what you're looking for there. So when it comes time to select conferences, some of us have time and money and love to travel and can, can go to a bunch of conferences. Other of us have less time or less money and have to pick and choose. And so the question becomes, well, which conferences are worth it for me and which ones aren't going to give me the value that I'm looking for? So in that regard, it's important to start with what your goals are, right? Because maybe my goal is I want to make a bunch of sales of this mm-hmm. thing that I have and I'm on, AWS, I'm on the AWS platform. It's like, well, reinvent is probably a place to go for you, right? But if my goal is I like to meet some other friends who are into JavaScript or whatever, now you got to look somewhere else. So um, start with your own goals, you know, ask yourself, why do I even want to go to a conference? Um, and based on that, then you can start to look around and see which conferences are going to potentially fill those needs. So what are some heuristics or what are some things to look for in conferences that y'all have found have been a good indicator of, yeah, this is something I want to invest my time and money into? Like you land on the website and you're like, hey, there's a conference.
2: What I want to let y'all go first. So.
3: Okay. <laughs> I look for a few things. Um, so, one thing I actually look for is location a lot, uh, partly because a lot of times I'm trying to hack my way there. So I'm trying to get there as a speaker or get there as a, you know f- with the podcast or something else. So right. somebody else is hopefully going to pay for a lot of that travel to get there. Um, so I hope you I like love- Portland.
4: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: But
3: I mean, flipping that around, if you're paying for your own travel, you may want to look for things that are closer to 100. closer. I think yep. location is actually a very key piece. I look a lot to kind of how are they presenting themselves in terms of community engagement? So like who are they pushing forward? Is it the big corporate people or is it big open source contributors, people I recognize? Is it a, are they showing all white men or do they have a diverse speaking panel? Are they you know, making an effort in terms of talking about and publishing a code of conduct? Are they talking about, like I saw we went to React Amsterdam early this year and they had a big push around open source projects and like elevating up open source and picking different open source things. And I was like, okay, so that tells me that they are focused on the community piece of this and the open source piece of this and not just like React corporate down, for mm-hmm. example. Um, so yeah, lots of things about how they're presenting themselves. are. Am I able to see that they're making the effort Around community, around making sure people feel safe. I mean, around making sure that you know this is not just some sort of corporate top-down thing. And location, I and love location. Cool locations for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'll, I'll take
2: into this a little bit. Okay. Having organized, like I, I just have a, a very different perspective. I think it really depends on the community, right? Like, um, what I would look for right now in a Rust event is very different from what I would look for in like a JavaScript event, for instance. Um, they're, How they're so? Just a, They're very different places in their sort of maturity cycle. So if I had a message that I really wanted to give to like the Rust community or to the JS community, in the JS community, I would worry a lot more about getting in front of a lot of beginners because that defines that community. (laughs) Like it doubles every year in size roughly. So um, half the people are new. (laughs) So getting to one of the bigger events may actually be sort of beneficial. Whereas like, you know, if somebody was doing a, a Rust event in like a hotel ballroom with booths, I wouldn't be very skeptical that they understand that community enough right now and where it's at sort of in, in maturity to actually like ha- bring the audience there and then um, give me an audience to like address. But just if you're looking for fun and just connecting with like cool people, I'm sort of biased in that there's a selection of events that there used to be more of them, but as particularly as the JavaScript community got bigger, it became less and less practical to do these kinds of events. But we had what we call, what I call high trust events where there was just a lot of trust in the organizers, like so much trust that they could not post a schedule and everybody just trusted, it's like, this is going to be good. It's fine. Uh, like we know them. It's cool. <laughs> uh, that, that doesn't happen that much anymore because the community is so big and it's growing all the time that people just don't already know all of each other. Right. But like I, I did a NodeConf like that. I used to go to an event called FunConf that was phenomenal, that was like that. And you can see a lot of other organizers that were at a place where they, they, didn't, have to be, they didn't have to prove a lot to everybody. You know, JSConf sold out many, many years in a row without posting a speaker list yet. They eventually would post speakers, but they would sell out long before that. When you have that much trust in the organizers, it, it's not just that, hey, they're going to do a good job and that's why people trust them. It changes the, the feeling of the event. People are not looking for the event to prove something to them. They're showing up with with a lot of like just expectations about the experience that they're going to have with other people, and there's a lot less just like complaining about little things, right? I was in an event in, in Berlin recently called DTN Data Terra Nemo that Paolo Fragomeni put it together, and he he's been he does this event every four years, and it's a selection of just like random decentralization topics. And there's there's no schedule, and it's a, like we you can get Wi-Fi in the room, and like all these things that if you were at a bigger event with a bigger budget, you would really complain about, and nobody mm. cared. Like nobody was upset about that. Everybody was just like happy to be there because um, be, because it was like oh we get we get a, like one there was like a hand curated list of like interesting people and in talks that you wouldn't have found any other way. Like you couldn't have had a committee bring together that particular group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, fu- and a lot of times, like when, when, when events like this happen, the organizers are going out of their way to, to grab people and to get them to do particular talks. Um, like when I did NoCom 2012, I think there were only two talks that people had brought to me that I want to do this talk. Everyone, every other talk was, I have a topic that I want to put in the slot. I know the exact person that should give that, Hey, you, you should give this talk. Um, and like that, that ended up with like a very linear sort of narrative over the whole conference where each talk sort of bled into the next and it, and it covered things in more of a narrative form. And you can't really do that if you're just sort of like, Hey, we have like an open selection process. Um, and also you, you can't do that kind of thing if the expectation from the community is that everyone gets an equal opportunity to speak at this event and that they get to like go through the same process, uh, for speaking that everybody else does. And representation aside, because a lot of events that do an amazing job with representation are actually going out and finding underrepresented people to give talks. Right. Um, it's just like the, there's this there's this view once you have a, an event of a particular size, especially an event that is making any kind of money, Right. We're like the community events are like not making money, Um, but like any of these, you know, bigger events that are run by media companies or foundations or whatever, um, there's an expectation that like this should be in a a fairly open place that we can go to present our ideas and that there should be a somewhat fair process for getting things in. Um, And I think that that's the right thing for those events, Mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily the event that I would prioritize going to. Like I would prioritize going to an event where people trust the organizer so much that um, they just like they're going to go no matter what and they're going to trust that organizer to find great talks.
4: Another thing I would prioritize is the format. Um, what what is actually going to be happening at the conference? So for example, uh, you can have anywhere from like a single day single track conference or a multi-day uh, single track, um, but then you can start getting into multiple tracks and I've been to a conference that has had 20 tracks going on simultaneously and so there's a good chance that nobody at the conference attended the same conference because everybody is just going in and out of these 20 different rooms the whole day Uh. and so it's tough to like that some people can really enjoy those conferences because they made the right decisions other people made the wrong decisions and ended up in the wrong rooms not seeing the talks that they wanted to and those conferences are also kind of detrimental because because they have you know 20 rooms or whatever they can't really spend the budget on filming 20 talks at a time And then publishing those online. So you just miss out on those talks and can't really go revisit them later.
1: So I'd like to queue up something here. We'll take it on the other side of the break because I want you all to think about it here for a second. One of the things that we talk about with conferences, the networking, the inspiration, really the, maybe not intangibles, but the serendipitous things that can happen uh, in your life or to your life because of attending a conference. So I would like everybody to dig deep in and think about something that's happened because you went to this conference that may or may not have happened otherwise, that has been a positive impact on your life, maybe as a source of inspiration for the folks who are on the fence about getting out there and attending conferences themselves.
0: This episode is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the simplest cloud platform for developers and teams. With products like droplets, spaces, Kubernetes, load balancers, block storage, and pre-built one-click apps, you can deploy, manage, and scale cloud applications faster and more efficiently on DigitalOcean. Whether you're running one virtual machine or 10,000, DigitalOcean makes managing your infrastructure way too easy. Head to do.co slash changelog. Again, do.co slash changelog.
1: One of the things that happens at conferences are things that you wouldn't plan, things you wouldn't expect. Sometimes you don't even realize that this is a big deal in your life. Maybe it's a job, maybe it's a new friend. Who knows? These things happen. So as examples of that, We've all had our lives changed in big and small ways because of conferences. Nick, you have a story for us?
4: Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily call it serendipitous, but it definitely helped. Uh, I'm at my current job because of attending JSConf US 2013. Uh, But it was kind of a pre-planned thing. I just happened to be going on my own. uh, And the company I had applied for uh, let me know that uh, somebody from their dev team was going to be there as well. And so it gave me a great opportunity to meet them learn more about the company and talk to them in person, uh, rather than, you know, over Skype or whatever. Um, and so I think that, that helped me overall. Um, and it was definitely beneficial for me to, to learn more about the company by being able to, you know, sit down in a, and talk, talk at like the breakfasts or the hackathon things that they had going on and, mm-hmm. uh, just a lot of fun that way.
1: Okay. Well, you serendipitous or whatever what have you event is kind of related to mine or ours here at changelog and js party
3: yeah so i am on js party indirectly because well i guess even directly because of a conference i attended i was at all things open a few years back probably 2016 i think 2016 sounds right and i was speaking about zurb foundation uh, which was the big open source project run by my employer at that time and I met up with Adam and actually did a whole interview with him that never aired. And he, I think he said he lost it and whatever. It doesn't matter. But a couple he of years later, it. I know, right? I, obviously, that means, oh, you sounded terrible, but <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, uh, on on sites can be difficult. And as you know, and I know as well, that it's totally possible to lose recordings when you're on site.
3: I have lost people's <laughs> recordings, so I no judgment whatsoever. Yeah. Anyway, long story short, a couple years later, I was no longer with that employer. I was on my own doing stuff. I was doing more media stuff. I was writing for uh, InfoQ at the time and doing mm-hmm. other stuff, and Adam reached out and said, Hey, I noticed you're doing this stuff. Would you be interested in a podcast? And that was when they were about, you all were about to re kickstart JS Party. And I was like, right. yeah, that sounds amazing. Let's try it. So I am here on this show today because of a conference I attended and the kind of serendipitous trail from there.
1: There you go. Michael, what about yourself?
2: What about myself? Well, um, I'm not here because of a conference. No, you're not. <laughs> but <laughs> that's okay.
1: You're here because of IOJS indirectly, because that's how we met you um, during oh, the yeah, Node yeah, IO yeah. fork. We had you on the change log. And- uh-huh.
2: Yeah. I mean, I have like a, a, very long kind of history with conferences. So I started, I mean, I think the first conference I ever went to, I was like 16. I went to DEF CON, which is crazy, by the way. <laughs> but I think like the first like real kind of professional conference that I went to was an um, OSCON, like, you know, kind of mid 2000s. And my view of conferences was very much shaped by OSCON and by, like, I, I had some, some great people that were really already very involved in the community and involved in Apache it could kind of like take me around that event. So I had a really good time and got to meet a lot of really good people, but it was like entirely kind of hallway track entirely, like off the the sort of main path of of the event. That was great. And, um, I think I spoke at that event and, and decided to like start speaking at more events. And eventually like, you know, I had not, I think even like left the country really, like I didn't have a passport and ended up traveling internationally for the first time in order to speak at like international Python conference and some, some other stuff when I was at Mozilla. um, and but but I I never thought about running an event uh, or or getting involved beyond just sort of speaking and attending, and then um, the JavaScript events sort of started and I think it's sort of underappreciated how different the JavaScript events were at that time than what was going on in the rest of the industry. So the first JSConf was very very different uh, from what you would typically sort of expect. Like I mean the to- the talks were like very good. Then people went to them. There were just the idea that there would be a party that the entire conference went to that was run by the conference seemed foreign to me at the time. Like with the big events, there are parties, but they're always run by companies and they're, and they're, they can't, they they can not they can not support the entire conference at the event. And so the idea that like the, the social fabric of the conference would extend beyond the sort of nine to five of the, of the event and into the social spaces was really revolutionary. And it really, it, I met a lot of people that I wouldn't have met otherwise, and I had a much easier time talking to people without somebody to shepherd me around like I had at OSCON. And that, that sort of started to reshape how I thought about events in general. I had also um, gone to some sort of unconferences, and that was sort of the beginning of the unconference sort of um, trend, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, no talks, just discussions with people. Um, and I'd had some really good experiences with a few of those, but they're, they're also very hit and miss. And so I was interested in sort of what made some hidden, not others. And I was generally doing a lot of just sort of community-oriented stuff at the time. And then I ran an event in 2009, yeah, for CouchDB called Couch Camp. It was just like on, I worked for the company at the time, and so it was just sort of like on the company credit card. <laughs> but I ran that event, and we ran it like up at Walker Creek Ranch, which is like this uh, this like summer camp run by Marin County Schools. And it was just it was phenomenal. Like, it was the best time ever. Everybody had a really good time. That got back to the organizer of JSConf. And I've been thinking about doing something for Node and like an event for Node, but I didn't actually know how to run an event without just like my corporate card <laughs> to just book everything on. And so Chris kind of helped me out. And then what that turned into was that Chris took me and a lot of other people and set us all up to run events. And then we in turn helped set up a lot of other people to run events. And the fact that JavaScript has this landscape of all of these tiny events that are really community oriented is really because of the work that Chris did, not just in running a great event, but then also in bringing up all these organizers and, and sort of and making us all feel like we also owed it to owed, owed him a little bit um in that. And we, we should do that for others as well. So, yeah, I think that like that landscape of events, I was, I was like somewhat involved in sort of helping create it, but I'm definitely like a product of it. Like I don't think that any of the communities that I've been involved in or the work that I've done really over the last like 10 years would have happened without these kinds of community dynamics and without these kinds of events. So that that's really important. So that definitely affects sort of how I think about speaking at events and which events that I want to go to and speak at. Yeah. And yeah, like I, I mean, usually when I give a talk, I want to sort of tell a narrative. I want to go to an event where um, people are really going to engage with that narrative, where they're going to engage with me after the talk. Um, and that it's not just going to be like a, a one to many sort of broadcast. Um, yeah. And I mean, you can look at sort of, I think all of the accomplishments in my career and sort of directly tie them into a lot of these not any particular talk that I gave, but just into the, the landscape of community events um, in general.
1: Yeah. So when we, when we look at the, the speaker perspective in terms of why go through all the effort to speak, you have to come up with a pitch, you got to submit to CFPs, or you have to be invited perhaps at that kind of conference, then you got to prepare a slide deck or some sort of visual aid, and you got to get your timing down, you got to tell a story, and... Let's face it, over the last decade or so, the game has been upped in terms of top quality at this point. I mean, there's some people who yeah. are very good and they are professional speakers, you know, they do the circuit. And I wouldn't say you're competing with them, but in terms of like you want to be at a certain level. So, why is all that effort work that, like let alone the travel and the money? Hopefully, if you're a speaker, you're you're not paying for your own your own way, but there's a whole lot and put into speaking at conferences, not to mention the fact that public speaking is one of the greatest fears that humans have. And so you have to overcome that as well. So why do we go through this? What's the what's the point? Why speak?
3: First off, let me say, you should not pay your own way if you're a speaker. If a conference is <laughs> asking you to do that, that's ridiculous. I mean... <laughs> that's absurd. Yeah. <laughs> so, Seconded. Put it, putting that, putting that but, out there, because I, I, have, I periodically do see questions about that. And I know that that is something that, especially as you're starting to get into this, if you're coming from a place where you don't know anyone else who's ever spoken at a conference, you'll get that pushback and you might think, wait, is this normal? Is this not normal? You should not pay to speak. The conference should pay your way. They should pay your hotel. They should get you there and you should not have to pay to do that. So,
2: so I, I agree with all of that, but we should acknowledge this is a very JavaScript thing. And to the extent that this happens in other communities, it's a lot of like influence from the JavaScript scene. Like this was something that Chris insisted on at the first JSConf and and sort of permeated the entire community. But you go into other communities, and this is just not the standard um, at all. Like in in Python, this is not standard. <laughs> um, and like you know, those conferences are run by their foundation, and they are run on. And when they did their budgeting, they did not include this kind of a thing. And so it's just not part of the culture there. Um, I don't necessarily agree with it. Also, any academic event, they're not going to pay for you
3: um, at all. You're going to have to buy a ticket to speak at an academic event. It's crazy. That, that is true. And that is something my wife goes through a lot, though. Oftentimes, your institution or your company will pay for you to go. And I totally get that as a budgetary need, especially with smaller conferences, where you say, you know what, we can't actually afford this. So we're going to let you know that up front. Yeah, and say, so you got to get another institution. But if they're doing that, they should also have a scholarship fund that will help folks because it is absolutely a sort of inclusivity and div- diversity question, right? If you are an independent, if you are working at a small company and they won't pay for you to go, like, that's shutting off access. And my personal opinion is this day and age, it's pretty unacceptable if a conference is trying to make speakers pay their own way. Asking for them to get their company to pay yeah, if they, if they're, if they can.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've run incredibly small budget conferences and still paid for a fair number of the speakers' travel and then just a lot of other local speakers filled in the rest. And the, the trick from an organizer perspective to do this on a low budget is to set stipends. So you know what the budgeting is ahead of time and just the sort of base sort of ticket sales and the things that you know are going to bring in money you can bet on it actually covering this. So put it next to your venue in terms of what you know that you're going to have to pay out. And then rather than doing reimbursement, set stipends so that you know that you can kind of cost control a bit. And that's actually kind of nicer sometimes for the speakers as well, because when they're submitting a talk and deciding if they want to go to this place, they know exactly how much money they will get in order to travel. Um, and, and that they won't have to do this whole like annoying expense reimbursement thing. Um, or, or convince you to like sync up with them to buy their flight or whatever. <laughs> like, it's actually somewhat preferable
3: to a lot of speakers. Coming back to the original question of why speak, it's an incredible networking hack. Most of us in this industry, and I think in the world in general, feel a little awkward just going up to someone and talking to them. If you're a speaker, people will come up and talk to you. You don't have to go that extra mile necessarily. It makes it so much easier to connect to other people at the conference. And on top of that, it gives you a great excuse to reach out to the other speakers. You can reach out to somebody who would otherwise be really intimidating for you and say, hey, I see you're speaking at this conference. I'm speaking too. Can we meet up at some point, maybe in the speaker room, maybe for a coffee, what have you, but just like, I'd love to talk with you. And the fact that you're saying, hey, I see you're a speaker, I'm a speaker, that breaks the ice wonderfully. And so between those two pieces, I have found that speaking at a conference, other than possibly going with the podcast, because then I can say, hey, I'm going to be there. You want to do an interview? But uh, speaking is like the number one networking hack I've ever found. Yeah, I'll I'll
2: completely agree with that. I want to let Nick get in something though.
4: (laughs) Yeah, uh, I mean, I I agree with everything um, that you're saying. Uh, Another perk is you get, especially if it's a... A conference not where you live you get to travel and so if you have the added perk uh, which you should of the conference paying for all of that then you have a free ticket to whatever city that's in and can plan accordingly to sea sites or whatever totally not not related to conference speaking at all but it is just an added perk to think about absolutely i
3: mentioned location is a factor in deciding that's because i mean i don't work for a sugar daddy company various other things but I do try to hack conference travel as a speaker or podcast host, and I absolutely bias on location. I want to see cool places.
1: Well, let me just say this. So JS Party here, we love conferences. You've seen us live at many events. We love remote locations. If you are running a conference in a remote location and you would love to have a live show on stage, something a little bit different, break the ice, uh, break the the redundancy of just speaker, 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 you'd like to have JS Party with you, We'd love to send K-Ball. We'd love to send Nick. Somebody representing us. Come to your conference, whomever it happens to be, and mm-hmm. do a JS Party thing. So reach out to us. Write to uh, check to
2: K-Ball and just send it <laughs> directly to him in a DM. <laughs> there you go.
1: <laughs> Quick pitch for conference organizers looking to yeah. partner with us. We do love those opportunities. So what about speaking success? So there's reasons to be a speaker. Maybe you decided I'd love to speak. Maybe you started to and have struggled or you've never given a talk before. I mentioned that the the game has been raised or the bar has been raised. There's a lot of high quality talks and nobody wants to go out there and throw out a dud. So what are some tips and tricks for speaking success? Maybe let's take it from the, from the perspective of somebody who's either a first time speaker or let's just say an inexperienced speaker. What can they do to give themselves the best chance of having a successful talk?
4: I would say the, the number one thing is they're, people are going to remember the messages that you're trying to get across. So that's the most important thing. If you stumble over a few words or you, know, like you should plan around like technical difficulties and things like that. But if you can properly convey your message, then that's the most important thing. And people won't re- be remembering that you messed up a few lines here or there or you're i was just at a a conference two weeks ago and the technical um demo completely failed the whole time but it was still one of the best talks i went to so that doesn't necessarily matter all the
1: time how did that work (laughs) how so (laughs) Uh,
4: it was a talk on um using machine learning to detect movement using like the bluetooth and the accelerometer in your phone so connecting via bluetooth to to the computer and then detecting like um she was trying to do street fighter moves so like a Hadouken, like throwing your, your hands out in front of you or <laughs> punching up or um, kicking, I think, maybe. And so I was trying to use machine learning to figure out when the phone moves like that, you're doing the the punch up. And th- there was just like Bluetooth connectivity issues. And so it just uh. never worked. Um, but it was still one of the greatest talks because it did work like one one time like a triumphant <laughs> <it>. final try <laughs> yeah but it might <laughs> have been drama right there. So like it like it it thought she was doing a hadouken but it did a, a punch up but it was <clears> still <throat> just hilarious and it added to it and uh, honestly seeing somebody a speaker um kind of have to stumble through that and and work their way through that is like it makes the talk better for me because if it went perfect it wouldn't be as memorable Mm. It's so. very humanizing. Yes. <laughs> you
2: yeah, <know>? I <laughs> Even speakers have problems too. I think one of my favorite talks ever was uh, this talk in Dublin that Emily Rose gave, and it was supposed to be a node hardware demo talk, but like voltage differences between <laughs> like Ireland and the US blew everything out. Mm. And so instead, she just plugged in the smoke machine and let it go crazy. <laughs> and it was just like playing music and then like talking about random hardware things.
3: <laughs> Wow. And it was a,
2: but it was great. Everybody loved it. <laughs> like, well, it was so fun.
3: A, a thing that I think is a, a meta lesson from that is you know, what makes a successful talk is you as a person being there in your whole self with energy. A lot of us obsess over the details. We want to get this right. We want to get that right. We want to have the perfect slides. We want to tell the perfect joke, things like that. But really, what makes for a successful talk is you're there and you show up and you're, present with energy you have your stories you're talking you're bringing yourself into that not some dry i'm reading the words on my slides or i'm talking about this technical thing like those are helpful to have like it's good to know what you're talking about but what's going to make you successful as a speaker is just being there and bringing energy you know i there are all sorts. You can always get better as a speaker. I've seen amazing speakers who are able to you know, time everything perfect and they have their humor and they've got their slides and they've got this and that and everything works perfectly and those are super impressive, but they've worked for years on that. Mm-hmm. I've also seen a first-time speaker come and everything went wrong, but they were there and they had energy and they told stories from their life and they were engaged and they were clearly just so excited about their topic and for me as an audience member, that was just as good. That was, I mean, because we go for inspiration, we go to connect, we go to find people. And if you're up there talking about something you're passionate about and that excitement and that joy shines through, I don't care if your slides don't work. I don't care if you're, uh, I mean, I don't care if half of what you're saying doesn't make sense <laughs> because <laughs> if your energy and joy is shining through, like that's what I like. Yeah. I think like, like what you're looking
2: for when you're a first time speaker is primarily like, you should be getting better at this, right? Like, that's the main thing. Like, um, you know, you could have a really good talk or really bad talk, but the main thing is that like you, you figure out what worked well and what didn't, and that you can come back to it. I think so often, like the, the thing that we, (laughs) that we tend to forget about is the value to the individual and just going through a process, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like like when I was having a kid, nobody ever said that it would be like enjoyable to me as a person for my own reasons. <laughs> it was like entirely like, no, it's going to be awful. It's going to take up all of your time and like, they're going to get benefits and you'll suffer. And like actually having a kid is in- incredibly like rewarding to you as a person, like right. you get to sort of re-experience parts of your life again. Um, it's great. But um, a lot of the value to you as a speaker is taking work that you've done and trying to recontextualize it for an audience that isn't you, you get to work through and think about all of the things that went into that, all of your ideas, and really codify them into a story, into something that other people can understand. Mm-hmm. And doing that like early and often can be really beneficial to the work that you do. Um, it it keeps you from getting you know going off in like a crazy direction that nobody can understand. Um, it gives you a, a much better way to sort of interact with your peers. It increases just your overall kind of communication skills. Um, yeah, so I, I think that like there's there's huge benefits just in going through that process, even if your talk doesn't go super well. Um, and speaking is just like any other skill. Like the more that you do it, the the better you're going to get at it. And the more that you sort of reflect on on it, the better you get. Um, you know, like like if you if you took an afternoon and wrote a module, and then the next day you find out oh somebody already wrote a module that does that. It wasn't actually wasted time if you learned
3: something, right? <laughs> and uh, chances
2: and are they've speaking, written
4: that module.
3: Well yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And tied to that, you (laughs) can give the same talk multiple times and it will help your talk. Give that talk at a local meetup. Give that talk to your friends. Give that talk to just your phone taking a video of yourself. And then if you can bear it, force yourself to watch it. Every time you do that, your talk will get better. And so if you want to have a great talk, like I saw I was I'm reading a book called Talk Like Ted that's focused on what do TED speakers do. And one of the things they talked about is Many times those speakers will have given that talk dozens or hundreds of times practicing leading up to the TED Talk and getting feedback and just refining and practicing. You don't have to keep this unique to the conference audience tune it, practice it. The more you do it, the better it will be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I didn't do that for years. And, uh, like I just couldn't bring myself to do
2: the same talk twice for some reason. And then I ended up being booked on just this crazy tour in Europe where I did like, I think four events in two weeks. And so I had to do the same talk. Like there was no, there was no option in running four talks. Yeah. Uh, and by the end, the talk was so good. Like it was so much better than the first time. And so, um, and I, I, I kind of felt bad for the first conference a little bit. um, but yeah, and, and that just made me like a much better speaker because I got to really refine throughout that whole process. Um, I think like, like, you know, find local meetups, find like other smaller stuff because there's not enough like big conferences for you to really, like you can't do the same talk for multiple years usually um, unless you're Crockford. And like, so it, like, yeah. <laughs> like uh, so like, it, yeah, I, I think that um, finding a lot of like more localized venues to do it in um, is, is really helpful.
1: Speaking of TED Talks, have you guys seen the TED Talk where the guy gives the formulaic TED Talk as his TED Talk? It's spectacular. I'll put it in the show notes. He, the, the style of the TED Talk at this point has become so refined and somewhat formulaic that this guy basically gives a completely empty TED Talk, but he just he, he's just commenting on what he's doing next. It's really, really funny. <laughs> uh, that
3: reminds me of the, the boy band song, Title of the Song.
2: Exactly like that. Yeah, same concept. Hilarious. I just remember the the TED talk with this guy who like what kind of crashed it? Like they thought that he was a real speaker but he really wasn't. Oh, he no. just like started spouting random stuff and it was it was really funny cuz there were yeah. a lot of TEDisms in there. Like the, the one that I remember the most is like he goes, "We looked at the data." <laughs> this <laughs> might be the one like, that I'm thinking of it's actually. A, it's just a chart with nothing. <laughs> like, yeah. it's just amazing. <laughs>
1: Uh, one, one other quick tip that I actually just experienced at NEJS Conf. so for first time speakers especially transparency is important and it's incredibly humanizing and you have to understand that as a speaker people don't necessarily know who you are and so they don't know like is this Michael Rogers and he's given four talks in two weeks and this is his fifth one and he's just like he's given lots of talks or is this somebody who's never talked before and so they come up with that expectation of like well I just hope this is good but what um, I can't remember her name Nick if you can think of it she came up and she said, hi, thank you for coming. I'm paraphrasing, of course. This is my first ever conference talk. And she got an ovation at the very top of her talk because she, first of all, she's up there, she's being bold and, and she's facing the fear that we all have and she's giving it a go. And we're all rooting for her at that point. You go from being skeptical and like, why is this person not very polished to being like on her side? Like, I want this to be awesome. By the way, it was, it was very, very good. Um, and so that's a, a small tip of a way that maybe you can disarm an audience that might otherwise not give you the benefit of the doubt. Just say, Hey, this is my first time doing this, uh, here we go. You know, something like that uh, is very helpful and it definitely puts people on your team.
4: And I will just throw out, uh, selfishly as a meetup organizer, your meetups, your local meetups, want you to speak, and so please take advantage of that. Uh, and there are things that you can learn just from giving the talk in front of somebody else or in front of a group of people. And that's timing, uh, especially comedic timing. Uh, if you're trying to throw in some subtle jokes or puns, whoever would do that, uh, you, (laughs) you definitely learn the timing of that by doing it in front of other people and when you should dramatically pause for, for applause or, or not, or, you know, to make it more awkward, (laughs) um, depending on what you want to do. You won't do that by practicing in front of your cat, but in front of other people, you can definitely learn that.
3: You can almost always slow down and wait longer. People will think you're being thoughtful or giving them time to think, even when you think you're struggling to figure out what to do next.
0: This episode is brought to you by cross-browser testing of SmartBear, the innovator behind the tools that make it easier for you to create better software faster. If you're building a website and don't know how it's going to render across different browsers or even mobile devices, you'll want to give this tool a shot. It's the only all-in-one testing platform that lets you run automated visual and manual UI tests across thousands of real desktop and mobile browsers. Make sure every experience is perfect for everyone who uses your site and it's easy and completely free to try check it out at crossbrowsertesting.com/changelog again crossbrowsertesting.com/changelog
1: So one aspect of speaking is you're not the only one who speaks. There's other speakers. And one of the perks of speaking, as we mentioned before, is you get to meet those other people and have excuses to talk and network with them. Um, Cable, you have a, a note here in our speaker perspective about supporting other speakers. You have thoughts.
3: I have thoughts. Well, I have a few different thoughts. First thought is it's hard to speak. There are some folks who've been speaking for years and say they still get nervous before every talk. It's hard to get up there and speak. As a speaker, You know, I mean, as an audience member, if you're listening to this, you should know that too. As a speaker, you know it doubly because you're facing it. So one of the things that I try to do as a speaker is go out of my way to support other speakers. And there's a few different ways to do that. One is, if you're going up to talk with a speaker after their talk, open, no matter whether you have a criticism, question, whatever, open with saying, nice talk, thank you for speaking give the positive feedback. It was hard to do that. It doesn't cost you anything to tell them, I enjoyed your talk. And I have this question or, and I think this thing might not be quite right or whatever, but thank you for speaking, I enjoyed your talk. Another thing that I have started to do is anytime I'm attending a talk, I actually try to live tweet quotes from that talk, tagging the speaker in. And I, I do this for a very particular reason. I was experimenting with Twitter at some point and I did this at a conference once. And at the party after that conference, one of the speakers came up to me and said, oh my gosh, you made me feel like a rock star. I came off stage. I cooled down a little bit. I checked my phone and there were all these things tagging me, quoting me. This is amazing. I've never felt like that. And I heard that and I said, gosh, like all I was doing was just listening for the things I thought were cool. And instead of taking notes for myself, I was publishing those notes out and tagging them on it. And yet it had this incredible impact on that speaker doing something very hard. They come off and they get this automatic reaffirment that I wasn't speaking into a vacuum. There's somebody out there listening. So those are my two quick tips. If you're a speaker, especially if you're an attendee, good advice as well is whenever you're talking to a speaker, open with a thank you for speaking or something that gives positive affirmation no matter how critical your comment or question is. And if you're taking notes anyway, do them in a way that the, perhaps is public, so that that speaker sees that they're being heard.
1: Hmm. Those are absolutely good things. What about um, those who want to speak but haven't had success at all, even being selected to speak? So you can't just walk up on stage and start talking. I guess you could, but you might get thrown out. You know, the, as I mentioned before, a lot more people are speaking now. There's a lot more events, but there's just a lot more people submitting talks. I know at any JS Conf over our five years, we had more and more submissions every single year. And I don't think that was necessarily an effect of the conference, maybe a little bit, just because you, you get more established. But mostly, I think there's just more people submitting. So how can you stand out from the crowd in that regard? Because it's hard to speak, but it's also hard to get selected to speak. And there's probably some people out there who've submitted their CFPs and they've been on paper call or you know, the different websites, and they just aren't getting picked. That can definitely you know, wear you down as well. Thoughts on how to get a talk that's going to get selected so you can be a speaker.
4: I think the one big thing is to try and tailor the um, the CFP to the conference that you're submitting to. It's it's much like a, a resume in that regard. If you just have a generic resume and you're sending that off to a bunch of different companies, it can be effectively the same. But if it has tweaks that are specific to what that company is looking for or what that, that conference is looking for, um, then it has a higher chance of, of sticking out because it's more authentic and it helps to better align with the conference's goals. And that said, make sure that you understand the conference's goals, go look at their website, look at what they're um, really looking for in the CFP process, and make sure that the talk that you're submitting uh, meets those needs, because if it doesn't, then you're probably not gonna get selected.
1: Yeah, do not submit a TDD talk to a conference about emerging technologies or something, right?
4: (laughs) In five years of our JavaScript conference, we've only received one talk on Java, so. (laughs) Been pretty good. <laughs> good.
1: Well, we ever received a lot of Java stickers, uh, <laughs> and uh, at the zoo. So we we hosted our first and our last conferences are at the world famous Omaha Henry Dorley Zoo. Better than the San Diego Zoo, just to mention that. Cable and uh, the zoo thought we were a Java event, so uh, they liked to plaster that a few different places. It was in it was in well intended.
3: I will say on the zoo front, I met somebody. <laughs> Who was randomly from Nebraska, and they were so impressed that I knew about the zoo. Oh, nice! (laughs) Thank you, gentlemen. Even though San Diego Zoo, everyone knows about, (laughs) let the audience listeners know Nebraska also has a pretty darn good zoo.
1: Jazz party, come from the come for the JavaScript, stay for the zoo debates, (laughs) heated.
3: See, I want to see a talk in an event just
2: about like this zoo. (laughs) <laughs> I, about this I, I love talks that are like not about technical things at technical conferences like Aaron Quint gave an amazing talk on making fake bacon at one of the JS conferences <sighs> I think like, I remember that I think it was so popular
1: talk. that I, it actually like yeah. resonates with mm. me like yeah I remember yeah. I wasn't there but I remember people talking about it so that's one way to make a splash
2: the first time I ever heard of something like this was uh, I think Simon Willison gave a talk at one of the Python or Django events about the <laughs> the ships made of big balloons <laughs> what are they call uh Blimp ship blimps yeah blimps yeah 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 yeah. yeah. he's like really into blimps (laughs) like i give a whole talk about about them um yeah it it was pretty cool um yeah so so coming back to talks that would actually get accepted at a conference um (laughs) blimp talk (laughs) yeah yeah blimp talk will probably not be accepted there's a lot of stuff so like i when i run events i tend to put stuff in the instructions that are about the kind of talk that I want to see. Not everybody does that, but but if people do do it, it really does inform kind of how they're looking to see your idea presented. A few other things, like, if you know that the CFP is blind, if they're not looking at the names, then it's really important that, like, how you frame the story of your talk includes some notion of, like, why you should be giving the talk. It doesn't, like, not who you are, but, like, you know, if you were somebody involved in creating a technology that's relatively popular, you should be giving a talk that is unique to that perspective, mm. and th- and that should be shown in the talk. So don't like you know if you you invented <laughs> I'll use Evan like if Evan, you is is giving a talk about like Vue JS. If it's just a talk about Vue, but given by Evan, that's obvious if you see Evan's name there. <laughs> but if Evan's name is not there, then it really needs to be about like why it was created and some of the ideas behind that and how that affects how people use it. If you didn't create it and you're using it in a unique way you need to tell the story of like why that makes it interesting for you to give that talk, especially if you're talking about any kind of technology that's relatively popular. Like if you do a JavaScript event right now, you're going to get like dozens of talks about Vue and react and Mm -hmm. um, they're going to have to look through those and figure out which ones are the most interesting to their audience. Um, So, you know, I I, like the, the talk about like UJS, but like in enterprise um, is just like not going to do it most of the time. Right. Right. Like that's that, that on its own is not enough. Um, so, yeah, I, I find it like really for, for me when I'm reviewing talks, I find it really important to see a narrative in the talk, like some some kind of perspective is coming through in, in the perspective. Um, I don't care as much at all about like the exact details of every bullet point and the flow and everything. I right. really just want to know what that story is and and if that perspective is something that I feel like needs to be at the event. I
1: would agree with that. I look for thoughtfulness in the actual description doesn't mean it has to be long or doesn't have to be. thorough with regards, like you said, Michael, like this is how the talk's going to go. But I can tell if somebody has put thought into a, effectively, what is a pitch, right? An idea for a talk. And then of course, don't, well, not necessarily don't, but if you are going to do a talk about a popular technology, such as a React X, Y, or Z talk, know that you're going to be facing against 17 other, react talks or you're, you're basically lumping yourself into a competition and now you must stand out from that crowd somehow so if you're going to do that maybe you have an amazing talk about that that's fine submit it but make sure that you stand out and it's not like like michael said view for enterprise is not going to catch the eye unless this is view for enterprise conf right
2: yeah yeah I see so many people when they get rejected for a conference, they're like, well, I guess that conference doesn't care about like, my thing. And it's like, well, no, they, they may. They just accepted somebody else's talk about it. Right. Uh, yeah. And, and often, like, especially with the blind review process, like, it's not about the person giving it because nobody even knows the person. It's like they literally just wrote a better like, proposal than you did.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's also important to know that the conferences, like even a small one like ours, we got over 200 submissions to the CFP. We got to pick 10. So we have to disappoint a lot of people, uh, and there's just no way around that.
3: And that brings up, there is a bit of a numbers game. Apply to 10 conferences, maybe get to speak at one.
1: Yeah, and be ready for a lot of rejection. Not necessarily means you're doing anything wrong. It's just the numbers game. So yeah. uh, Until you
3: make it and you're a name that people are reaching out to. I, which I have never done, but I was talking with Emma a little bit and she was overwhelmed because all of a sudden she's a name and people are reaching out to her and she's like, oh, how can yeah. I handle them all? So be aware of that as well. Like There are people that are just showing up everywhere and part of that is they've established themselves. They have a name. Don't feel bad that you're not there yet. It's a stage you can get to if you speak and do well and especially if you're associated with some key technology, or you're, you know, really have you make a name some way, like the fact yeah. that they're there doesn't necessarily mean that they're writing better CFPS than you. They might be, or CFP responses, but they may also have a name from somewhere else.
2: There's often like a a moment, right, where a certain talk given really well is it's really like that that was the talk that everybody needed to hear at that time, and so every other conference all of a sudden wants that talk in that speaker and they'll mm-hmm. reach out to them. And um, if you find yourself in that position, remember you don't have to say yes to everybody just because you, you weren't getting this kind of attention before. Like right. it's okay to say no to a few people. I've seen a lot of people burn out this way. And you know, there was definitely a point in, in Node.js's js's life cycle where like, yeah, I was just being invited to things all of the time because everybody wanted to hear that talk about node, but it doesn't happen for everybody. And that's okay. Some people just like keep doing cool work and keep getting, unique talks about unique things accepted um, here and there.
1: Parting thoughts from the party about conferences, uh, any upcoming conferences that y'all will be at or things that you'd like to say, hey, this is a good conference or anything else before we call it a day.
3: I will say that I have loved every JS conf affiliate that I have gone to. And I think also all of the Node Confs that I've been to have been good. And that is definitely not true of, Every other type of conference, there's—I mean, there is a lot of hit or miss. But so those particular sets of series, kind of, Michael was highlighting that they come from a common lineage, and there was a lot of shared thought. They tend to be more thoughtful, more diverse, have a wider range of different types of talks, and just more fun. Yeah, I'll agree
2: with that. <laughs> uh, I don't run events anymore, but um, I, I tend to keep to to those. I haven't actually, I haven't been to to a node comp in a while, actually. Um, there's been, there's been so many new ones sprouting up that I haven't been able to go to. I, I, I'm really sort of, uh, I have a lot of FOMO about like not having made it to Columbia and some of these other ones that have been popping up. That conference was amazing. I, yeah, I heard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know some of the organizers and stuff, but, um, and some of them ha- I'm sure have been at my node comp before, but yeah, it's, it's, the stuff has now gotten so big that, um, you know, I, yeah, I just can't actually go to everything.
1: Nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded, as Yogi <laughs> <Barrow> would say. <laughs> well,
2: that, that's the cool thing about this community is that most of the events keep themselves relatively small, and we've we've dealt with the growth of these technologies by just having more events and not by having giant events and having that one event to turn it into like ten thousand people. Um, and I think that there's like a lot of advantages to to that method of scaling. Um, you know. Yeah, and so, you know, none of them are too crowded. <laughs> I'll put it that way.
1: All right, y'all. That's our show for this week. We hope you get out there and hit the conference scene. Let us know how it goes. If you have a talk, I'll just put this out there myself. If you have a submission you'd like to become a speaker and you would like some help refining said submission, uh, holler at me in Pacific. I see some head nodding amongst the panel here. Oh, everyone is nodding. So, Jared K Ball. Michael or Nick, we're all willing to
3: help out with these things. I think that's something you will find. Oh, I was meaning I'm going to send you some CFP. Reviews. Oh, you're saying <laughs> He's like I'm emailing you right now. <laughs> but no, I, I am also oh, yeah. happy to help. I, I've i never been an organizer of a mm. conference. I've done a bunch of meetup organizing. But so mm. the th- three other people on the panel may be more help on the CFP reviews.
2: Um, I, Another thing, too, is that like I really want to encourage people to to try to speak at meetups first um, hmm. and to get involved in their local communities before they jump into um, the conference side of things. Um, and with that in mind, th- there actually are a bunch of meetups that sort of came out of the same culture of JSConf. Um, so there's all of the sort of borough JSs um, in the New York area. So there's Brooklyn JS and Manhattan JS, and I think there's Jersey um, There, oh, I think there's a Bronx one now too. Um, and then uh, in San Francisco we have Waffle JS, which is phenomenal. That's my local. Yeah, that's an amazing event to go to or to to speak at. In Portland they have Donut JS, and there's probably some other ones that I'm forgetting. But yeah, there's there's a lot of like great meetups as well in different areas depending on where you are um, that you should try to check out.
1: So attend a local meetup, speak at a local meetup, and if you don't have a local meetup, you're not like in Manhattan and have you know six of them you can pick from or whatever it is. Start a meetup. Because that would be a worthwhile yeah, yeah. endeavor
2: as well, or if you know that you're going to be at one of these places for some other reason. Yeah, visiting. Um, yeah, a, a surprising number of people at Waffle J's are like just in town then, <laughs> and it's like their third time at Waffle J's, and I'm like, but you don't live here, and they're like, it's San Francisco. We're here like enough.
1: Came for the waffles. <laughs>
3: yeah. There are also virtual conferences that you can attend that are all online. They don't have quite the same level of conference track and networking and things like that but you can attend them you can get some of the same levels of inspiration you can apply to speak at them so if travel is something that is not very easy for you to do for whatever reason maybe you're a caregiver maybe you have other things doing a virtual conference is another opportunity
1: that's our show for this week thanks so much to the panel thanks to y'all for listening hey you don't have to go home but you can't stay here see you next time
0: Thank you for tuning in to JS Party this week. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the shows. Head to changelaw.com slash community. And do us a favor. Share this show with a friend or just now a podcast. Go into Overcast and favorite it. And thank you to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to fastly.com to learn more. We move fast to fix things around here at ChangeLog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. We're hosted on Lino cloud servers at the ChangeLog. Check them out and support this show. Our music is produced by Breakmaster Cylinder. And you can find more shows just like this at ChangeLog.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.